Righteousness for the unrighteous. That's been the topic that we've been looking at for several weeks as we have been making our way through Romans. I decided that I would slow down a little bit um, a couple of weeks ago whenever we got to this passage, whenever we got to Romans chapter 5. I realized that I was not going to be able to do Romans chapter 5 as quickly as I thought. And it actually worked out pretty perfect because the text that we're going to look at today, we, are, we already had the Lord's Supper scheduled today, and the text that we're going to look at today, that we're going to focus on, is, is, is so much related to the truth that we find within the Lord's Supper. I want to introduce you to a word today, uh, a word that uh, if you've been studying Christian doctrine uh, for any length of time, you're going to come across this word atonement. Some of you, m- maybe, you've never, maybe you've never heard of this word before as it's related to our Christianity, as it is related to what we believe about the Bible. Atonement is a word that we're going to look at today, and uh, I guess you could say the secular meaning of atonement would be a reparation for a wrong or an injury, like something that you do wrong, and then you have to make payment for that wrong. That happens to all of us in human, in human relationships. Uh, we, break the, we break the law, we get a speeding ticket, and we have to pay a reparation. We have to pay for that ticket. Or it could be something a little bit more serious than that. Perhaps we cause an injury to another. We wrong another. And they take us to court and they sue us and we have to, make out, we have to pay out a payment for the wrong that we've done, for pain and suffering or whatever, whatever it might be. But it's some type of payment, some type of reparation for a wrong or for an injury. So you do something wrong and you have to make up for it. And that happens in a lot of ways. You know, you set up a lunch with someone and you forget. And they show up at the place that, you have, that you're supposed to have lunch, and they sit there for an hour, and you never show up. You do them a wrong, you do them an injury, and what do you do? You say, I'm so sorry that I forgot to, uh, for, I forgot to meet you. Let me make it up to you. And, and maybe, maybe buying their lunch is not going to make up for it. you got to do something that you want to make them feel better because you caused them an injury or a wrong. I mean, we hurt people's feelings all the time. We say something that we shouldn't say and we cause a hurt or an injury to someone, and then we say, I'm sorry, or we try to do something nice for them in order to make up for that, or we make a promise. So this is what, this is what atonement means in a, in a secular way. Uh, it's a, it's a, 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 a penalty removed through payment. That's what it is. I had a penalty that is removed through payment. And there's an injustice done, and it has to be fixed. But atonement can also be non-monetary. It, it can be relational in nature. Um, if you forget an anniversary, you can't buy your way out of that, right? You can't. You can say, oh, I've, I've, I'm sorry, honey, I forgot your anniversary, and uh, you go get a dozen roses. Well, that may or may not help. Or you say, oh, I'm so sorry, honey, I forgot your birthday. Here's $100, there's something about that that just would not quite work. It, it, could, it could be, it could be non, a non-monetary payment. Um, it could also be atonement. This payment that's made could also be made from a third party. In other words, as someone who does a wrong or injury to someone else, there could be a payment or an atonement made by someone who is a third party. I mean, have you ever had to go behind someone and kind of smooth things over? 
You ever had someone that you were friends with or maybe a boss that you worked for who was always offending people and, and you had to, you, you know, maybe you were second manager and you kind of had to go behind them and you kind of had to smooth those things over. Atonement can be made for things that maybe even, even you didn't do. In some instances, there can be no atonement. In some instances, a reparation or a payment or a wrong or an injury is not going to be enough. If, if you commit a crime against my child, I may forgive you in my heart, but I don't think I could ever, I, I don't think that would, it would ever be just to say, well, don't send that person to jail. Even as much as I might would forgive you, there could never be a reparation or a payment that you could make, monetary or non-monetary, that would make the judge say, oh, okay, well, since you were nice to the dad, we won't send you to prison. There, there are some instances where it just can't happen. So in Christian theology, let me give you, let me give you a, 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 what, what atonement means. It's the same thing, but in Christian theology, and this is a definition that was given by a theologian named Wayne Grudem, atonement is the work Christ did. He was the third part. The work that Christ did to earn our salvation. Here's another definition for you. This is one that just came to me this morning. I don't have it for the screen, but you can write this down. It is penalty removed through payment. That's, That's what atonement is. It is penalty removed through payment. And from, from a Christian perspective, it is the, the work that Christ did or the payment that Christ made in order to remove a penalty from us and in order to earn our, our salvation. Jesus on the cross is what paid for our sin. His work on the cross is what earned our forgiveness because it would have been impossible for us to pay that penalty. It, we, we, have, we, we are not rich enough. We're not wealthy enough. We are sinful. Even offering our life on a cross for, to secure our eternal destiny would not have been good enough. Jesus was the only one that could make the payment necessary in order to repair the injury, the offense that existed between us and God and that separation. And our passage today talks about this. I invite you to stand as we look at Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. This is what the Bible says. This is probably one of the most, I would say, one of the most, this passage contains one of the most well-known verses in the entire New Testament and quite possibly the most well-known verse in all of the book of Romans. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. Look at this verse. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received 
the reconciliation. Father, today we thank you so much for the atonement. We thank you, Lord, for these verses. We thank you for the payment that was made for our sin, the broken body, the spilled blood of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for us because we could not do it for ourselves. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. This passage is perfect preparation for us to partake of the Lord's Supper together. Perfect preparation for us to reflect upon and think about what was done for us. What did Jesus do for us? What was paid for our salvation? What type of payment was offered? What did Jesus do? It's very simple. He died. Christ died. Two times in this passage, these words should just pop off the screen to us. These words should just jump off the page every single time we read them, the fact that Christ died. There are many things that Jesus did for us in his life that benefited us. There are many things that Jesus is going to do after his second coming that is going to benefit all of us. But what we're focused on today is what his death did for us. We are, going to, we are celebrating today and focusing upon the fact that he died for us and that secured a payment. That was the payment that was made for our sin. Death is the central work of the atonement. The blood of Christ that was spilled for us many times, and this is why we sing about it so much. This is why we see it in so many songs. We, we celebrate the death of Christ. We, and and this, is, this is odd because we typically don't celebrate each other's death. I mean, we call, sometimes call a funeral a celebration of life, but we typically don't look back at a person's life and celebrate their death. But we do with Christ because of what it accomplished and because it was a payment for our sin. We celebrate it, we sing about it, we preach about it, we study it because it was a payment that did something for us. I mean, let this sink in. Christ died. You know, there's lots of things that we could do in paying for things for other people. We could pay for someone's lunch. We could buy someone a car. Mo most of the things that we would pay for other people are things that we could get back. There are some things that you can't get back. And if you were to give your life for someone, that's not something that you can get back. Um, uh, it is the ultimate and final payment. It is the highest cost. It is your, your life is your most valuable asset. There's nothing that you own, no relationship that you have, nothing that you have that you count of any type of value, whether it be monetary value or relational value. You can enjoy none of it in this world, in this life, unless you are in fact alive. And so the fact that, that if, like, if you pay with death, you are giving your most uh, your most valuable asset. And this is what Jesus did for us. He died. And he didn't just pass away quietly in his sleep after he lived for 80 or 90 years. He was painfully tortured and executed. Do you know that the cross was painful? The cross was painful. Jesus did not receive some type of humane capital punishment through lethal injection in which he fell asleep and his heart stopped beating. 
That's not how he died. He died in pain. He died in torture. He died and was treated at his death with the utmost and ultimate cruelty of the time. There was no more cruel of a way to end someone's life that had ever been invented by any government than crucifixion and, and, well, with, with the Romans. It was physically painful. It was agony, nailed through hands and feet, suffocation. But that's, that honestly probably wasn't the worst part. There was an emotional and psychological pain that Jesus went through whenever he went to the cross. The Bible said in Isaiah 53, verse 6, the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have trouble bearing my under the guilt of my own sin, even though it's been removed. Sometimes the, the, the things that I do in this life might wear on me. Human beings feel that all the time. They did something wrong. Imagine all of the sins of humanity laid upon Christ. Imagine the emotional and psychological pain. I believe that carrying the cross was heavy, but carrying the sins of the world was the greatest burden that he bore. And he also had relational pain. He was all alone. He was abandoned. God's wrath was upon him. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, Jesus cried out and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken us? Christ died. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, that he bore our sins on the tree. This was the payment that was made. Death was given. The, Christ died died. Who was the payment for? Who was the payment for? Who did Christ die for? Christ died for sinners. Now, if Christ dying is not striking enough, the, the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament died. If, that's not, if, if, if that doesn't strike us, then Think about the fact that who he died for. The Bible tells us explicitly that Christ died for sinners. Who would you die for? You say, well, I would die for my spouse, or I would, I would die for my children, or I would die for my best friend, or, or perhaps you would die for your mother or for your father, or you, maybe you would die for your aunt or for your uncle. Maybe you would say, um, I'm gonna, uh, I, I would be willing to lay the ultimate sacrifice on the altar for my country. I would be willing to sacrifice and die and give up myself for my nation. And many people have, have done that. If we, if we needed a show of volunteers, and you had to volunteer, if we said, hey, we need some people to die, there's a need. And we need some people to volunteer, and it's a good cause, and it's good people that you're going to be dying for, and we need some volunteers. How many of us would raise our hands? I, I, I don't know. We've got one eager volunteer back here, <laughs> which is very commendable. But the Bible says that for a good person... One would dare to die. In other words, we would dare to die. We would think, okay, I probably should do this. I should do this for a good person. I should, this is a good cause. I should probably do this. But the Bible says that Jesus died for us while we were weak, while we were ungodly, and while we were sinners. Would you die for people? Well, let me ask you this. Would you die for people that you don't love? Would you, would you die for people that didn't deserve it? 
Would you die for bad people? Would you, if I said, hey, raise your hand, we got some really, really horrible, evil, bad people over here that don't deserve it, but we want you to die for them. Would you raise your hand? Would you offer your life for that? Would you die for evil people? Would you die for your enemies? See, Jesus died for us while we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were still sinners. The Bible says that we were enemies of God. That's why the Bible tells us to love our enemies, because it's a picture of the gospel. Jesus dying for us. Jesus did not die to pay the way for good people. He didn't die so that all the good people could be saved, all the wise people could be saved, all the moral people could be saved. Jesus died on a cross. He gave a payment of death for weak, ungodly sinners. You think about the worst people that you can possibly imagine. Jesus died for you. If you're lost, if you are far away from God, the Bible says that Jesus came for you. Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. This is how we were converted, right? I mean, think about, think about whenever you were saved, especially if you were an adult. I know that for me, when I was saved, I was running as far and as fast from God as I possibly could. It wasn't like I was on a path of cleaning up my life and then I got saved. It was the opposite. I was running from God. I was running towards sin. I was clinging towards sin. I was desiring evil and God saved me. This is what Jesus does. I mean, and, and, that's, and that's, what this, that's what the Bible says. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. The payment that was made, Christ's death. The payment was made for whom? For sinners. Now, how about this one? To whom was payment made? The death of Christ was the payment. It was, it was, it was paid for sinners. But to whom was the payment made? This might strike you kind of hard. But Christ rescued us from God. I know we talk a lot about how we need to be saved from ourselves. We need to be saved from this world. We need to be saved from sin. But I want you to look at this first. Look what Romans 5, now, 5 9 says. It says, since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved? Saved by him, saved by Christ. From what? From the wrath of God. This is at the very core of what it means to be saved. Let me, now think about this. People are accountable to God for transgressing his law. They are accountable to him. And the Bible speaks clearly that punishment awaits Punishment awaits for sins against God. So it makes sense that sinning, if we sin against God, then we would receive punishment from God. Jesus repeatedly talked about judgment all throughout Scripture. 
He repeatedly spoke about it. In fact, in fact he, talk, he talked about judgment. He talked about hell more than any other New Testament writer. And I would say in, anymore, more than anybody in Scripture, the Bible repeatedly speaks of God bringing judgment at the end of time. We have it recorded in the book of Revelation. We see bowls of wrath that are poured out upon the earth. We see the promises of judgment, great white throne judgments and the like. We see Jesus saying things like... We will have to give an account for every idle word that we have spoken and that we will have to give an account to our deeds. Who will we give an account to? We will give an account to the judge. And listen, if God is the judge. Satan is not the judge. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, eternal death. Hell in eternity is the payment that people owe for their sins against God. I didn't look, I didn't make it up. I promise. I promise I didn't make it up. It's right here in the scriptures. You can look up. But you just go through the New Testament and find every time the Bible speaks about judgment. Get you a concordance and go through and read every passage in the New Testament that speaks about judgment. Unless it is talking about temporal judgment, uh, you know, man on man. If it is speaking about any type of eternal judgment, explicitly and implicitly implied is the fact that God is the one that judges. God is the one that punishes. And hell is where God's justice and God's judgment and God's wrath will be poured out upon sinners. Now, some people believe that Satan is the punisher in eternity. This is absolutely false. Satan is not a judge. He has no authority in eternity. Hell is not owned and operated by Satan. He is not standing at the door with a pitchfork and horns laughing as he opens the door for people who are entering hell in eternity. The Bible speaks very clearly that Satan will receive the worst punishment that hell has to offer. God is the one who punishes. Now, here's the beautiful part of this. People are not currently, while on earth, paying for their sins. People outside of Christ, people who don't know Jesus, they are not currently on earth paying for those sins. God, in His grace, His wrath is being delayed. And why is that? The Bible says that God does not wish that anyone would perish. But that all would come to him, that all would, all would come to a saving knowledge of him. It is a delayed punishment. The Bible doesn't say that people uh, are punished by God immediately whenever they sin. The Bible says that there, it gives a promise of punishment in the future that one day will happen. Now here's the beauty of the atonement. Christ, payment on the cross... His blood sacrifice was sufficient payment for our sins. And it's over with. You're not going to face that in eternity. You have been saved from the wrath of God. If you are in Christ, all those bad things that you did when you were growing up, paid for. All the, those, those sins that you committed this week, maybe even this morning when you woke up, paid for. 
those sins that you're going to commit, I mean, I just there's no excuse for it, but it's going to happen. You have a sinful nature. Those sins that you will commit tomorrow, today, this week, next, next month, and throughout your life, paid for. They've been paid for by the blood of Christ, and you are saved from the wrath of God. It's gone. And it's not coming back. You'll never be under the... Th- now, you can, you can be under his discipline. You can absolutely be under his discipline because God loves his children. And every father that loves their children will discipline them. And that's what God says about us, that he disciplines us. So the payment that was made, Christ's death. The payment was made for whom? For sinners. The payment was made to whom? It was made to God as payment and reparations and punishment had extinguished his wrath against us. Why did Christ make this payment? Why? Why did he make this payment? Why was the payment made? Christ reconciled us to God. This is why, this is the whole purpose. This is the whole purpose and why Christ died. This is the whole purpose and why Christ died for sinners. This is the whole purpose and why Christ extinguished the wrath of God and saved us from his wrath. The whole purpose, the whole purpose is so that you could have a relationship with him. Not so that you could just go enjoy your freedom apart from God but so that you could be reconciled to him. The Bible uses this word reconciled three times. And here's what I love about this verse. The wrath of God on sinners who are outside of Christ is delayed. It's not going to happen until they are in eternity. But the reconciliation is something to be said that we have now. We currently have it. We don't have to wait to, until eternity to be in a relationship with Jesus. It's something that we can enjoy right now in this life. We can be restored to him. Previously, before we're in a relationship with Christ, before we're converted and saved, we're distanced from God. We have no connection with him. We're preoccupied with the things of this world. We're, we, don't have, we don't have any type of love relationship with him. We don't feel and sense his grace. We don't have a passion and drive inside of us to worship him. There's this distance between us and the things of God. We read the Bible and it just has no meaning. We pray and our prayers seem to go nowhere. We come to church and sing and it just, it's just not, we're just not feeling it. In fact, most of the time we don't even have any kind of drive for the things of God. We don't sense God's grace and his mercy upon us. This is, what, this is the life experience of unconverted people even while they're participating in religion. There's no true relationship, no true reconciliation in their heart with God. But the Bible says that whenever we get converted, that we enter into a love relationship with him. A real and personal love relationship. Because the payment that was made, the wrong is fixed. The atonement has been made. And we're now free to enjoy his grace and to walk in his peace. And to, uh, for, uh, to have his presence 
in our life. The reconciliation that we have in Christ. Listen, it is living proof that we have been converted. Your personal relationship with Jesus is the living proof in your life that you have been converted. You should be living daily and in an ongoing fashion. You should be living in a relationship with God that is true and real and has meaning and has bearing in your life and affects your decisions. And that relationship that you have with Him, it should be embedded in your affections. It should be constantly on your mind. Your relationship with Him should be foremost in your life. It is, excuse me, it is living proof that your sin has been atoned for. Your ongoing relationship with Him. And this is what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the fact that the wall of separation has been removed. And that through the broken body of Christ and through the spilled blood of Christ, we now can enjoy a relationship with Him. Do you have that relationship? Listen, if all you have is religion, if that's all you have, you're lost. Religion's not going to save you. It's not going to save you. Coming to this building week after week after week will not save you. Getting dunked underneath that water will not save you. Listen, only Jesus saves. Religion doesn't save. You can be as moral as you want to. It's not going to save you. It's only through the blood of Christ have you been reconciled to God. Listen, be reconciled to God today. Be reconciled to Him. Be reconciled to Him. Call upon his name. Enter into a relationship with him. You don't have to wait. It can happen right now. It can happen this very instant. All you have to do, you can just call upon his name. You don't have to wait for me to quit talking. You don't have to wait for us to start singing. You don't have to wait for anything. You just call upon his name. You just turn your heart to him, and you can be reconciled. Let's bow our heads and pray. And you do that right now. Be reconciled to God through the blood of Christ. Be reconciled to Him. It says later in Romans, and we'll get there, is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is the Holy 